let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. I like to watch boxing, and um, I heard an interview one time with Mike Tyson, uh, and they were asking him about this man that was going to fight him and the strategy that he had and everything. How are you going to handle the strategy of this boxer? Because he has this great strategy. And, and Mike Tyson replied, well, everybody has a strategy until I hit them. And I thought, boy, that's a very uh, accurate statement of him when he was at his prime. But, you know, God has much more power than Mike Tyson ever thought of having. And all he has to do is speak. And it doesn't matter what strategy has been formed. It doesn't matter what the enemy has planned. God's purpose will stand. And God has a battle plan for you and for me. Now, we are in a war. Um... I don't know if you think about that very often, but we are. We are in a spiritual battle, and the Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you and me. He is not neutral toward Christians. He hates us. He hates us because we are associated with God. We're his children. We've been redeemed. Uh, And he hates us because we've been created in his image, even if you don't know Christ. You've been created in the image of God, and Satan hates you for that reason. And he wants to destroy you. But God has given us a battle plan. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, because I believe you and I need to understand the battle plan of God and how we wage this battle against the evil one. And we know in all of this, as we wage war... We are doing so from a position of victory. Satan may still fight. He's been given some freedom. The Bible calls him the God of this age. But even though he's been given some freedom, he has been defeated at the cross. Jesus Christ defeated him, and Colossians says that he led him in triumphal procession. He he did a victory march at the cross and defeated the devil's power. And Colossians also says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we've been taken out of Satan's kingdom. We are now a part of the kingdom of God. And so I want you to see several things about this battle strategy that we are to do. Uh, first of all, we need to rely on God's resources. We need to reject our fear. We need to receive God's power, and we need to remember God's promises. Uh, before we get started, keep your thumb there in Revelation 12, but I'd like you to flip over with me just briefly to Genesis chapter 37. This is a story of Joseph, and we, we went through this a, a, a while back. Uh, Joseph is sharing his dreams uh, with his brothers and now with his father. Um, look look with, uh, with me at Genesis 37, 9. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, 
I had another dream, and at this time, the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and his brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this you have had? He said, are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his fathers kept this in mind. So, Jacob interprets Joseph's dream. The sun, moon, and the 11 stars are Joseph's parents. That's Jacob and, and uh, Rachel. And then uh, the 11 stars are Joseph's brothers because there are 12 tribes, 12 sons of Jacob or Israel, okay? Now, flip back over to Revelation with me. Revelation chapter 12, and we see here oftentimes in Revelation there are symbols that represent something, and this, the key to the symbol is given elsewhere in the Bible. Look with me at verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Does that sound familiar? She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Now, by the way, the stars are also representative of angels. Now... Uh, if, you, if you remember the scripture where it talks about Satan being cast out of heaven, I saw Lucifer fall, that star of the morning fall from heaven like lightning. Uh, oftentimes in scripture, stars represent angels. And so when, when the enemy rebelled against God, and the dragon is a picture of the enemy, uh, he took a third of the angels with him. Now, that means there are twice as many angels as there are demons. Good to know. One-third went with the devil. Two-thirds remained behind. So that just gives you a little, little context there. Uh, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. Now, this is a, a symbolic way of representing the fact that Jesus came from Israel. The devil hates God's people, but he hates Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. You ever wonder where anti-Semitism comes from? It comes from satanic hatred for the people of Israel. It, throughout history, acts of anti-Semitism have been works of the enemy. The devil hates the people of Israel. And so the, the woman gives birth. Now, there's a whole history behind this because you remember in Genesis when the fall took place and God told the woman, your seed will crush the head of the serpent? That some descendant of Eve would come along who would undo what Satan had accomplished in the garden through his temptation and their sin. So, you get to Abraham, and God says, Through your seed, all the nations of the earth 
will be blessed. Here again, you see the seed. You get to David, and you hear God telling him, you will have a descendant who will rule forever. Your seed after you will rule forever. So Israel had been expecting this seed, had been expecting this child. And this symbolic picture we have in Revelation is that promised seed that God had prophesied so long ago would take place came when Jesus was born and placed in a manger. The seed had come, and the devil wanted to devour it. And so what did he do? He incited Herod, and Herod made a decree Kill all the babies, two years old and under, in Bethlehem. Fulfilled a Bible prophecy when he did so. And so Herod did. He went there. But God sent his angel, and they took Jesus down to Egypt and remained there for a while while Herod reigned. And God delivered him. And so you have a condensed, this is the Reader's Digest condensed version of the life of Christ. Okay, uh, Verse 4 says, she gave birth. That he might devour her child. He, he, was, he was waiting so that he might devour her child. Uh, verse 5 says, But she gave birth to a son, a male who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. That's a direct quote from Psalm chapter 2, which is a, a psalm of prophecy predicting the coming of the Messiah and his rule over the world. So then he says, And her child was called up to God. And to his throne. That's the ascension. I told you it was Reader's Digest Condensed Version. He was born, and then he ascends. Okay? Now, in the meantime, the death, burial, and resurrection happened and all of that. But he ascends to the right hand of God. Now, verse 6 shoots forward into the future. This is definitely Reader's Digest Condensed Version. Because this battle between Satan and God's people has been going on throughout history. Verse 6 says, the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. Now, what's he talking about here? This is looking forward to that time talked about in the book of Daniel, talked about in Matthew, uh, talked about in Zechariah, in several places throughout Scripture. Uh, of this great trial, this great trouble for Israel. You remember in the book of Matthew where Jesus is describing, he says, hey, when you see these signs, flee Jerusalem. You know, get out of there while you got time. Because a time of great suffering like you've never experienced and has never been in the history of the world will come. And this is the time that he's speaking about. And this woman, which represents Israel, will flee from Jerusalem because the Antichrist will declare himself to be God and set up in the temple and will begin to persecute the people of God, begin to persecute Israel, and she will flee into the wilderness. And some people believe that uh, the uh, Edomite fortress said uh, Petra will be the place, but wherever it is and however God does it, God will prepare a place for Israel and will protect her in the wilderness and Satan won't be able to touch her. Okay, so he's just giving you a little, and it's going to go into more detail about this here in just a moment, but uh, that's a, a, a real brief history of the battle that has happened since creation 
and that will happen until Jesus finally throws him into the deepest part of the lake of fire. Won't that be a great day? So there's a spiritual battle. Um, and, and what we need to do is we need to rely on God's resources. I want you to see what happens here. The woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there. The Greek word literally means to nourish. What is our battle plan with the enemy? You and I can't defeat him in our own strength, but God has infinitely more power than the evil one does. And he is the one who provides a place. I love this, the Psalms. They talk about the fact that the Lord is my strong tower. The Lord is my fortress, my God, my deliverer. Uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. There are, there are times where we draw aside for God's fellowship. And God is a protection for us. Did you know that you are in the hands of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you're under his protection. Nothing can come to you but what he allows, and what he allows will ultimately end up for your good. I didn't say it was good. I said it will end up for your good. And so, he has his protection upon our lives, and he has his nourishment for our lives. And this is really important. God is going to provide for Israel in that future time, in the tribulation period. He'll provide food and, and, and water. I don't know how that's going to happen, if that will be something supernatural or if there will be people that are smuggling stuff into them. I don't know. But whatever it is, God will provide what they need. But God will provide what you and I need. He will provide it. The most important needs of our lives are the spiritual needs. You know what nourishes your soul? There are several things that nourish my soul. One of the things that nourishes it is the Word of God. <laughs> As you come to the Word of God and you look into the Word of God and God speaks to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you respond to what you read. It nourishes you. It builds you up. It strengthens you. Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You see, God's word nourishes us. Time in prayer nourishes us. You know what the Bible says? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer nourishes us and brings God's peace spiritually for us. Worship is another thing that brings us nourishment. Um... One of the things I've noticed about the Psalms oftentimes is as David or whoever's writing a psalm will be praising God and worshiping God, the whole perspective changes. Um, 
Sometimes when you're going through a difficulty, the problem seems great. As you turn your eyes on the Lord and you begin to worship Him and talk about His greatness and thank Him for His work in your behalf and the things He's done and praise Him for His absolute sovereignty in your circumstance and praise Him for His plans for you and you begin to look at at all that God has planned for you. It will nourish your soul. It will encourage your spirit. God will give you his resources. Now, God gives resources that are physical and emotional. Uh, I think as we get things spiritually right, oftentimes God works on our emotions and gets them in line. But he also provides our material needs. I praise God that I don't have to rely on the government I don't have to rely on somebody across the street to supply my needs. God will supply my needs. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He is able to supply everything we need. So rely on his resources. You and I cannot Fight the spiritual battle on our own and win. As you have this old nature within you that wants to sin, you can't can't survive on your own without God's help. You need to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Confess your sin, deal with that sin, and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, And surrender your heart to Him and trust Him and see what He will do as He lives His life Through you. That's God's resources. How do you have victory? Well, it's not in, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. No, it's in relying on the resources that God has given us. God has always been faithful to his people. You remember when Elijah had his big showdown with the prophets of Baal? And here's Elijah. He's the prophet of God, and Jezebel's killed most of the prophets of God. But Here's Elijah by himself. (coughs) All the prophets of Baal gathered around, crying out to their God, cutting themselves and doing all these things. And Elijah's kind of poking fun at him and says, where's your God? Is he asleep? Is he taking a nap? You know, and he's, he's doing all these things. Well, finally, Elijah calls to God, and God sends down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. But then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah hears about it, and he flees off. Did you know that God can provide for you? Elijah sat by the river, and the river dried up. The brook dried up. How do you like that? God sends you to the brook, and the brook dries up. So that's what happened to Elijah. But you know what God did? He sent the ravens. God sent the ravens with food. You say, I don't believe that. Well, it's supernatural. Supernatural. God sent the ravens. God supplied his food. Then God sent him to a widow who was suffering and provided for both the widow and Elijah through that situation. But God is in control. He has the ability to supply our needs. No matter how impoverished you feel in your spiritual walk, God has more than every bit of resource that you need. I love that scripture. In Colossians where 
they had been hearing false teaching about uh, different types of uh, levels in your Christian walk, and you had to gain this knowledge and get, get these higher levels and so forth. And, and Paul writes to him, and he says, listen, you are complete in Jesus. He talks about Jesus and who he is. He's God, and he's all-powerful, and he's all these things. And then he says, and you are complete in him. You don't have to look for something else. You got it. You're complete. We have every bit of resource that we need to fight the battle. Make sure you use it. By the way, one of the most important things for the battle is a weapon. The weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Make sure you take advantage of that resource. So we need to rely on God's resources. Then we need to reject our fear. Look at verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael, Michael is an archangel. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail. And there was no place for them in heaven any longer, so the great dragon was thrown out. Now, you say, well, I thought the devil was already thrown out of heaven. I heard Adrian Rogers preach a great message on this. The three times the devil is thrown out. The first one was when he rebelled in heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. But he still had access to heaven. Remember Job? What does the Bible say? Job uh, was living righteously on the earth and Satan comes into God's presence in heaven and says, Hey, you know, and they're talking back and forth and God says, Have you seen my servant Job? And the devil says, well, yeah, you know, but he, you know, you blessed him and put a hedge around him and all that. So they're having a discussion in heaven. Satan has access to heaven in the sense that he can come into God's presence right now. And he is the accuser of the brethren. He, he comes and he says, God, you, you've seen what uh, Roger Pugh said today or what Roger Pugh did today. Uh, he's a lousy servant of yours. And he begins to accuse me before the throne. But you know what happens? About that time, my advocate stands up. Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. That's what First John said. He is our advocate. And he says, Father, I know that he has sinned. But look at these wounds in my hands, in my side, in my feet. I have paid the price for him. And the devil has to sit down. And shut up, because Jesus has paid my price. He's my advocate. So he has that ability, but when this great battle takes place, and Michael, the archangel, and his forces go against Satan and his forces, Satan will be defeated in this angelic battle, and he will lose his access to the throne of God. He'll be cast out a second time. And this time he'll be barred from entering into God's presence. And then the last time, he'll be cast into the lake of fire in that fear. So, reject your fear. Satan is a roaring lion, but he's defeated. God's angels have more power than him. God has supremely great power. How can somebody who... It's, it's like a Ford Focus trying to race a Ferrari. 
It's just no contest. God has infinite power. Satan has limited power. God has infinite wisdom. Satan has limited wisdom. He's very wise, but he has limited wisdom. You see, it's just no contest. He will be thrown out. Won't that be great? The accuser. Listen, Satan is an accuser. And God has given us a weapon against him. The breastplate of righteousness. Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and access into this grace in which we now stand. And that word stand in the Greek means you have begun to stand with the result that you continue to stand. I stand in the grace of God and there is no single thing the enemy can do about it. I am secure in the blood of Jesus. God has clothed me with the righteousness of his son and he has wiped away every stain. I am justified through the power of Jesus Christ. Take that, Satan. I have been paid for with his blood. Cast out your fear. Reject it. Somebody said fear is an acrostic. False evidence appearing real. At this time in history, when the enemy is on earth wreaking havoc, it will seem as though he's in control. But he's not. It will seem as though he's winning. But he's not. Some of you may feel as though he's winning in your life. Maybe you've been struggling and you've been going through a time of trial in your life and you've just been uh, feeling overwhelmed with the circumstances that you face. And it may just be your circumstance. It may have nothing to do with the enemy. Or there may be some satanic attack in there or demonic attack there. Regardless... God is able in your circumstance. There is nothing that can come to you that God can't handle. Satan's power is limited. And by the way, he's not omnipresent. We talk about Satan tempting us, but really, if you want to be more strict about it, it probably is more like demons. Probably not Satan himself. He's probably somewhere else messing with somebody who is uh, uh, in the mission field or something like that. But... Satan's power is limited. So reject your fear. Cast it out. Satan has been defeated. He will be defeated by Michael the archangel. And one day he'll be thrown into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Did you know God prepared hell not for you and me but for the devil and his angels? But if you choose the devil's side, you'll end up there. God has made a way through Jesus. We can reject our fear. So... Reject your fear and then receive God's power. Verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers 
has been thrown out. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives in the face of death. You see, God has given us some resources. He says, your first resource is the blood of the Lamb. You know, there's a way that's been made to be cleansed. When the accuser of the brethren comes to you, if you don't know Christ, you stand guilty and condemned before God. You have no excuse. You have no answer. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the second death is the lake of fire. You have no excuse. There will be nobody making an argument in heaven. The books will be opened, and it will be plain to see. The accuser of the brethren comes sometimes to believers. Now, if you're a believer, your debt has been canceled. I love that scripture again in Colossians. I just like Colossians. Anyway, it says that God has blotted out the handwriting that was against us. (laughs) My sin is washed away through the blood of Jesus. Receive his power. How? Through his cleansing. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, you need to make a choice this morning to turn from your sin and receive the free gift of salvation through trust in Jesus Christ. And he will save you this morning. Why? Because he paid the price by dying for your sin and he rose again the third day. The Bible says he will According to the promise of God, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can have a weapon in your hand, the power of God in your hand. Why? Because God's cleansing has been made available. Some of you here today are God's children. You're in his hands. The Bible says don't give the devil a foothold. Some of you may have given the devil a foothold in your life. How do you do that? Well, you nurse some sin in your life. Do you have a sin in your life that you haven't repented of? Maybe it's a a bitterness against someone you haven't forgiven. Or maybe it's some private sin that you've struggled with. Maybe it's a sin of gossip. But there's some ongoing sin in your life. What you do when you don't... uh, take advantage of the cleansing of God in your life is you allow the devil to have a a foothold in your life and he can begin to attack you in other areas of your life. So what you need to do when you sin against God is first of all confess it. It's not that, you, you know, Jesus, when you become a Christian, all of that's settled as far as you go into heaven. But your fellowship is broken through sin. And so in order to restore that fellowship, you confess that to God the Bible says if we confess him, our, confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then you must make a choice to repent, to ask God to give you a heart of repentance. Because that sin in your life will make you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And he does want to destroy you. So take advantage of that cleansing. Apply the blood. And... Allow that fellowship to be restored. So that's 
the first way that we receive God's power is by his cleansing and then by the word of their, their testimony. There is something powerful about your testimony, about what Jesus has done in your life. The word literally is testify. It's just to, it's like the word used like giving an eyewitness report. It's the idea of saying, hey, Jesus has changed my life. Let me tell you how he's changed my life. That's your testimony. And then you can share people the scripture from his word that tells them how they can know Christ. But there's something powerful about the word of our testimony. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. Did you know every time somebody gets saved, the devil loses ground? We take his territory. Every time somebody comes to church and hears the gospel and comes to Christ, we take territory from the devil. You and I are not supposed to just be on defense. We're supposed to be on offense. Getting ready to get into football season, right? Some of you will probably say, hey, not just defense, offense, right? Same thing's true spiritually. You and I need to be seeking to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, there is power in that. You don't have to be a rocket scientist just to tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. You just tell them. And ask God to use you to be an influence in somebody else's life to bring them to faith in Christ. And then, they love not their lives unto death. You want to receive God's power in your life? It comes with surrender. What is more important in your life? Your personal desires? Your pleasures? The things you enjoy doing? Your friends? Your family? Oftentimes, nothing wrong with those things. But if it comes before God, it's wrong. He says they love not their lives unto death. Now, we, we hear a lot about this is the American dream. <clears throat> you work hard, you get rich, you get prosperous, and so forth and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says we ought to work hard. The Bible says store up treasure for the day when, when times are hard. You know, the Bible, nothing wrong with that. But that should not be the goal. The ultimate goal. You and I are called to follow Jesus. That ought to be the number one thing in our life. He said they love not their life to death. They weren't so concerned about loving their life. Well, I don't like this, and I don't want this, and all this. No. What does God want? So often we think about what we want. What does God want? They love not their lives to death. And in this time of history will be the worst in the history of the world. And the enemy will be given the ability to persecute God's people. God will give him permission to do that. And through that, he'll bless them. They'll get rewards and so forth. But God will give them, there'll be great difficulty. And God's people will have to make a choice. Do I serve this evil ruler or do I remain faithful to Christ 
And the easy thing will be to follow the things of the world. But they love not their lives unto death. <coughs> I used to think if I surrendered to Christ, that God would call me to the mission field and make me marry an ugly woman. I seriously thought that. I used to worry about that. What if God called me to mission field? What if I, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd worry about those things. And, you know, sometimes we, we do. You know, and I've been there. Okay, I understand. But uh, do we hold our lives loosely enough? What's important in your life? Are you willing to give up what you enjoy doing? Are you willing to give up maybe a friendship, if necessary, to be faithful to Christ? Or do you love your life so much that you hang on to it? Important thought. When you get to the place where you can release to the Lord the things of your life, you will have God's power on your life. So receive God's power. Then, I want you to see that we need to remember His promises. Look at verse 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness. And there she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. The 1,260 days, the time, time, and half a time, the 42 months are all saying the same thing. It's the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, the time of God's greatest judgment upon the earth and the worst time in history. But God has given her, it's a symbolic way of showing God gives her a way of escape. Israel will have a way of escape. You say, well, what does that have to do with God's promise? Because God said that your seed will rule before me forever. God said, uh, I will never uh, take my hand off of you. I never never will uh, uh, remove my love from you. God said, Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God said to Israel, I will make a new covenant with you. I'll write my laws on your heart. And I'll make a new covenant with you, and you will be in my presence. And forever, you will be my people, and I will be your God. God said, listen. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm telling you what's going to happen in your future. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm promising an unconditional promise. You will be my people. When you get in those times where everything's going crazy, remember the promises of God. No matter what the devil does, he can't revoke the promises of God. (laughs) God protects Israel. Why? Because he's promised that he'll preserve his people. Here's another great promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that great? If you give a cup of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. I bet they're going to get a great reward for giving their lives. Those who, actually the devil turns his anger. Let's look at that real fast. Um, he sends this rivers, whatever that is, if it's a literal water deluge, could be. Uh, could be something else, like a river of something, a river of persecution or whatever. There are different opinions, but God protects it. I think it's a literal water. 
the earth helped the woman. Verse 16 says, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river and the dragon spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony about Jesus. And he's thrown on the sand of the sea. Who is the woman's offspring who have a testimony about Jesus and put their faith in Christ? It's you and me. Okay. Now, I don't believe that, I think we'll be raptured out before it all happens. But those who place their faith in Christ during the tribulation period will be persecuted by Satan. And God will, will allow them to do that. Uh, and so, they will need to cling to the promises of God. But you and I need to cling to the promises of God. You know what the Bible says? When the enemy comes in like a flood the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. I'm going to tell you something. That's a good promise. You know what that says to me? When the devil's trying to attack me, when the devil's trying to come against me, as I look up to God in faith, God lifts up a standard of battle against the enemy, and he defeats him on my behalf. It's a promise of God. Remember the promise. Remember that word from the Old Testament, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We have been given the promise that whatever may come, ultimately Jesus will come back. The devil will be defeated. And ultimately, I believe after a thousand-year period of Jesus reigning on the earth, the devil will be loose for a short time and then will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And you and I will live in a place with no sickness, no pain, no sorrow, no crying. Perfection. That's the promise of God. Doesn't matter what's happening tomorrow in your life. Doesn't matter what happens next week or what happened yesterday. You have unshakable promises from God. Remember those promises when things get hard. <coughs> this is a battle strategy that God has given us. And notice he says that they will overcome him. Several times it says that in the scripture. It says it where it says they will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It says it there, but it says it several places in this chapter. <clears throat> we will overcome. You say, well, how do you overcome somebody when you're dead? Good question. You overcome him because death cannot keep you from realizing your purpose for God. Matter of fact, you get an extra reward for that. Do you know that? There's a special reward, a special crown for the martyr. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, it's talking about going to heaven to be with the Lord. And it says, and God has created us for this very purpose. Now, I have a purpose of God while I'm here. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not my ultimate purpose. The devil may be able to kill the bodies of these believers, as chapter 13 talks about, but he will not 
be able to thwart the purpose of God. And just like Jesus laid in a tomb, and on the third day, he came out in victory, so you and I will one day, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. We cannot be defeated. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our lives unto death. Rely on God's resources. Reject your fear. Receive God's power and remember God's promises. This is our battle strategy. And we can't fail. Isn't it great to know that Jesus has won on our behalf? You and I, we, as we obey God, we'll, we'll fulfill purposes that he has for our lives and it will all be a part of his big plan. But no matter what happens to us, ultimately the purpose of God stands. And God will win the victory. He has won. He will win. And one day, the devil will be finished forever. And we'll have the fullness of his blessing. What about you? Do you know Jesus Christ today? If you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible says that one day when you get to heaven, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And you will end up in the lake of fire. You need to hear the word of God that says, He doesn't desire you to perish. He doesn't desire anyone to perish. But that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. And so Jesus died for your sin and rose again so that you could receive his forgiveness. Will you make that choice to repent, to turn from your sin? It's it's a step of faith that you take, trusting that God will help you and give you power to, to overcome sin, but also trust him his forgiveness, that gift of God that is eternal life that Romans 6.23 talks about. Will you trust him this morning? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. I'm going to invite you. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come here to the front. I'll be standing here. And you can tell God in prayer that you've made that decision. And You remember that verse I just quoted, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The prayer part of it is just the fruit of what happens here. When I make that commitment in prayer, it's a step of faith that I take because of the faith in my heart that I've trusted His promise. You can take that step, and by the promise of God, you know where you're going to spend eternity. Some of you are here this morning, and... You know God, but maybe you haven't been relying on his resources. And you just need to say, Lord, forgive me for neglecting my time with you on a daily basis. Forgive me for skipping out on church. We are supposed to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, Forgive me, God, for for not spending time hearing from you and and spending time in worship and, and not taking advantage of the resources that you've given me so that I can live in victory. Maybe some of you need to to come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm choosing by your power to reject my fear. Some of you have been paralyzed by fear, paralyzed by the future, 
And God says, listen, I want you to just take the next step and trust me. You know what Jesus said? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You just trust me today. You do what I tell you to do today, and I will supply what you need. Some of you just need to surrender in that area and say, Lord, help me trust you with today. Don't know the future, but I do know that you're able. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to reject my fear. Maybe some of you need to receive his power through cleansing, through committing to share your testimony. The altar is open. Maybe some of you have been forgetful of the promises of God, and you need to say, Lord, help me to cling to those promises. You just want to come to this altar. Whatever God's leading you to do this morning. And by the way, you don't have to just do business at the altar, but doing business at the altar is just one way to, to publicly say before God and everybody, I don't care what. Whatever anybody may think, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. I don't care who knows it. I'm not ashamed of him. It's just a way to publicly do it. But regardless, make that decision. Don't allow the enemy to have victory in your life. Father, please be at work in this time, Lord. Have your way.